was to fall asleep. Close my eyes and disappear like a paddle on a stream, a feather on the air. He said, "When you go down, nothing gonna wake you now." Hello, and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, December twenty ninth, two thousand and nineteen. I forgot today was Sunday. You know, it's that that period between uh, th- uh, between Christmas. I know and it's and so have true. No idea. What Absolutely day it is. true. Absolutely true. <laughs> <laughs> My name is James Marino, and on the broadcast today, we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Good morning, Peter. Hi. Good morning. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at foulspotphoto.com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. So as I mentioned, we're in that period of uh, no man's land. Uh, we're in the green room of 2020, I guess. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and all true New Yorkers and theater people like... Uh, for the New Year's, stay clear of Times Square in those immediate hours before and after the New Year, because we think Wednesdays are terrible in Times Square. They are. Uh, New Year's Eve is terrible in Times Square, and so our heart goes out to everybody who has to deal with that and work on work their Broadway jobs in the midst of that mess. <laughs> oh God, so, yes. And in case you have never tried to uh, go to Times Square. On New Year's Eve, you, it's impossible to get anywhere near it after about oh. I don't know four or five p.m. <laughs> yeah, they they uh. they lock down the street with stanchions. They lock people in the pens. Yes, yes, and they are like livestock. Just like waiting. livestock. <laughs> May I point out that when I moved to New York in 1977, uh, when New York was in tough shape, um, this was not long after uh, Ford to New York City dropped dead. Um, <laughs> Um, I went to New Year's Eve in Times Square, and I was by the KTS booth, and um, there was virtually nobody there. Mm. It wasn't filled. Mm. Yeah. So this is nice that we have a rebound that uh, New York uh, and Times Square and New Year's Eve is back where it should be. So um, I I understand all the problems you're talking about, but I'm delighted that people want to come from far and wide and endure the restrictions placed on them. Uh, simply so they can say, I was there. And by the way, uh, I don't have all the information in front of me, so maybe you guys can help me out, but did you read that there are plans for a permanent stage in Times Square? No. No. Oh, really? You know you... who we have to ask about that is Lauren Klaas Schneider. Uh, you know, Lauren does, um, she uh, produces Times Square at New Year's Eve, uh, for one of the television stations, and she's been there for like the last 15 years. So I bet you she knows more about that. And she's always got great pictures uh, on social media at the top of uh, putting up the the 
the crystal ball on, on the top of one Times Square. Right. So have to we have to ask her about that, see if uh, she's got some insight on the permanent stage. I was going to say that, you know, I think the people, the crowds are going to be bigger than ever because a lot of uh, fans of the Palace Theater are going to congregate there to see how the construction is moving forward. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, and I guess they feel that now that it's more and more of a pedestrian mall, if that's mm-hmm. the right word yeah. for it, mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. more streets closed off and more public areas, uh, it does seem like a natural progression since they have so much uh, that they could have there and they and they do frequently have events where they put up temporary stages um, so they might as well have a permanent one yeah what's the uh, the, the event in September where uh, Broadway on Broadway is that the mm-hmm. uh, well there's the one the one that they uh, the the one that they don't do anymore <laughs> uh, isn't that is that the one I, that must be the one I, yeah. I they don't do it anymore huh right um, yeah so it was like uh, first weekend in September Broadway on Broadway a bunch of the Broadway cast would go out and do a song and or do something similar and uh, yeah huh. I I, I think in the back of my mind, Matt Temenini would be quick to correct me here on and when it ended and how it ended and what's going on there. But do, uh, do any of the Broadway casts uh, do anything for New Year's Eve um, in Times Square? I, I, I'd imagine there'd be a, a great market and a, a great audience to do stuff there. But again, Matt would figure that out and tell me. I'll have to ask him and get it on today on Broadway for tomorrow for Monday's show. All right, so here we are at the end of uh, 2019, and I bet you think I forgot about the trivia. So Pete, uh, give us an answer for last week's trivia question. <laughs> the last trivia answer of uh, the decade. Uh, well, depending on how you look at it, um, a lot of people feel that the decade really ends with the um, zeros oh. because there was no year zero, but that's another story. All right, which statement made in a song in the 19... 19- 81 quick flop musical was rebutted in 2000 by a song in a long running hit musical. The answer is in 1981, Oh Brother, which ran for three performances, had a song called It's a Man's World. In 2000, The Full Monty, which ran for a hit making 770 performances, has as its opening number a group of women insisting that it's a woman's world. So, Tony Janicki was the last one to get it. Um, well, that's looking at the glasses half empty because Tony Janicki was the first one to get it, too. Uh, he was the only one to get it last week. Um, I heard from Brigadude and I heard from um, Ingrid Gammerman, both of whom who said there were too many flops in 1981 for me to go through all of them. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, congratulations to Tony once again for being um, my one and only, which was not a flop either. All right. So uh, towards the end of this broadcast, we will have the the new question for kicking off the new year. And uh, perhaps Tony Janicka will be the first mm-hmm. in, uh, the, uh, in the new year. But I'd imagine it'll come sometime later in the day today, which is still the 29th of December. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we were thinking about doing a wrap-up of... Uh, of what has happened in 2019. And let's start off by uh, Jonathan Mandel at, uh, at NewYorkTheater.com um, put up a, a really nice um, grid of photos of people in the theater community have passed away in 2019. And I'll have a link to that in the show notes so you can check that out. 
Uh, but Peter and Michael, Peter first, who, who is uh, some of the most memorable people in 2019 that we should t- discuss? Well, I mean, in terms of memorable, um, it, it always comes down to a personal situation. And um, the people that I got to meet along the way and uh, had nice experiences with um, certainly come to mind first and foremost. Um, I'll, I'll mention Betty Corwin. Uh, whom, to whom we all owe a great debt for starting the uh, theater of film and tape uh, at Lincoln Center that uh, we can now go and see so many shows starting from 1970 uh, that it wouldn't have happened without her, especially Rags, which uh, was closing on a Saturday. And on Friday, she got a phone call saying, please record it. And it was the summer and people were all on their way to the Hamptons, but she she got it done. So uh, Betty Corwin was certainly one. And she was a lovely lady, just terrific. Um, and uh, had me do a few things for the theater of film and tape as well, which uh, for which I'm very grateful. So um, Martin Charnin, who was very important in my life and even mentioned me in, in his liner notes, it's one of the album he did. Um, very good to me, um, starting with um, my being so enthusiastic about the Matahari score that I invested in the uh, off-Broadway production that followed that um, didn't uh, succeed. But uh, again, I'll stand by that score and his lyrics are terrific. I think he is such an underrated lyricist that um, it's really sad that people don't uh, respect him more. Of course, part of that has to do with the fact that a lot of people, um, when somebody has a smash hit, um, <laughs> get uh, very finicky and um, turn against that person for having a smash hit. And of course, the smash hit was Annie, um, which was really you know, quite a thing. Um, it really influenced so many other shows that followed because um, people realized, well, there's gold in them that are musicals uh, that uh, appeal to children. So, um, and certainly we have so many more of those now. And I do think Annie was one of the reasons why. Um, John Simon was always very nice to me, which sounds a little strange. Yeah, yeah, which sounds a little strange. But (laughs) I'll tell you why, though. I'll tell you why. It's because um, I mentioned his wife, Patricia Hogue Simon, um, in a book um, and praised her for um, her production of She Loves Me that was done at Marymount. And um, so as a result, I think he liked me because uh, his wife said to him, now you be nice to him. He's not like you, you know. (laughs) I mean, one time she sent me a Christmas card saying, John and I love your reviews. And I thought, honey, you might, but he could not possibly love (laughs) you because I am so positive. You know what I mean? So, but he was always nice to me. So, uh, so as a result, and there's no question that he was such an entertaining writer. And um, certainly one of the reasons our dictionaries were dog eared was because um, he sent us to the dictionary so many times to find out uh, words that we didn't know, which was really amazing considering that English was not his first language. Mm. Um, Carol Channing, of course, um, was extraordinarily uh, nice to me. Um, and in fact, one of the Betty Cohen things I did at the museum uh, was with uh, with her. Um, it was hard to interview her, I'll tell you, very hard indeed, because she had like 9,000 cassette tapes in her head and she used to take one out and put it in and there was no <laughs> rhyme or reason. It was fun to go along with the ride. And any time I, I did deal with her, um, I had a wonderful time. So, um, so those come to mind immediately. I want to give Michael a chance to um, talk about people that meant something to him, and then I'll return. All right, Michael, what did you, uh, so who are some of the folks that you'd like to think about at the end of 2019? 
Yeah, well, to your point, I guess, uh, uh, of all the greats that we lost, there were some also that I was lucky enough to have personal experience with, if only briefly. And, you know, I will always cherish that. These are giants of the theater. Um, I got to interview Miss Channing a few times and speak with her on the phone, and she was quite something. Um, both uh, Hal Prince and Jerry Herman, I was thinking recently about just very specific things that I uh, that I had uh, in conversation with them. Um, for Jerry Herman, I'll, I'll never forget this. Actually, I posted this on Facebook. When uh, Encores was first planning to do Gypsy with Patti Lapone, uh, if you recall, they did it as part of their Summer Stars series it was yeah, called, right, sure. which mm-hmm. didn't really last but anyway uh and that was before it wound up coming to broadway um so that that production had ju- was just opening uh or was just about to open and it occurred to me i was reading all over the place um that all these major figures uh commenting on on gypsy and it seemed to me that it really is one of the absolute top shows uh, favorites, um, especially among people in show business. So I, I had this idea to call, see if I could uh, do an article for actually f- for Broadway stars about how people feel about Gypsy. And I got major people to talk about it. I, I would just call them up or email them and they were happy to talk about Gypsy. I got Barbara Cook, Charles Bush, Frank Rich, um, uh, p- people really the 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 highest echelon, and then I I'll never forget it. I actually got a phone number for Jerry Herman's home office, I suppose it was, and I called up and I got an assistant on the phone and said I was wondering if Mr. Herman might be available for a a very brief interview, and the person initially said, uh, "Well, please email your question and and then he'll get back to you." But he would like to know what the subject matter of the interview is, and I said, "Oh, I would just like to ask him his feelings about the musical Gypsy." And the assistant said, hold on a moment, will you? And he put me on hold. And then he came back and said, Jerry would like to talk with you right now. <laughs> he got up, he got on the phone and he, and he spoke with me. Uh, he just, it was a show that he absolutely adored. Uh, and he described as one of his absolute favorites. And actually um, I can call it up here quickly. I think he, um, I remember he said uh, that he uh, another of his, one of his favorites was a tree grows in Brooklyn, which uh, in the documentary on uh, on Mr. Herman that was done a few years ago that it turned out that was a show he had produced uh, and at summer camp I think uh, so he had uh, he definitely had his favorites, but what he said about Gypsy was. Um, he said, Gypsy is one of my all-time favorite musicals, and to go into all the reasons why would not fit into your column. I just have to say, I don't know of any other show that so skillfully combines a truly absorbing and wonderfully crafted book with a thrilling score that, to me, defines what a great music theater score should be. Great melody after great melody and brilliant lyric after brilliant lyric. When all that is put together against the show business background, we've really not had anything to compare with it. Everything works in Gypsy. So I think it was just kind of wonderful to hear someone like that 
uh, someone of such great accomplishment praise so effusively the work of other writers. And uh, Mr. Herman was a real enthusiast aside from his own talents. So that was amazing. And then for Hal Prince, I'll, I, I think I've told this story before. I was lucky enough to interview him in his office quite a few years ago. And we were talking about um, his career in general and hits and flops and how you never know what's going to be a hit and you never know what's going to be a flop. And I said, well, I can certainly relate to that. And, uh, and I asked him, what would you say if I told you that I thought that Rosa was a better show than the Phantom of the Opera? <laughs> Rosa was a flop, a huge flop musical, ran a couple of weeks, I think, R- really, really big flop. And he just kind of chuckled and said, well, if that's how you feel, then that's the reality for you, and it doesn't matter what anybody else says. <laughs> so I thought that it was great to have someone like him say say that to me, as someone who had uh, experienced uh, the greatest highs possible in show business, but also had a period of several years when, when it was kind of flop after flop. Um, so th- those, uh, those are two people that uh, two brief moments with two great, great legendary individuals that I will never forget. Bernard Slade died this year too. He was the author of same time next year, but it was mm-hmm. the play tribute uh, that came after that, that um, seriously affected my life tremendously. The concept of the play is that it's about a famous comedian. Everybody loves this comedian. Oh, he's beloved in the, around the world because he's so funny and wonderful. Uh, there's one person who doesn't like him though, and that's his son mm-hmm. because um the comedian cheated on his mother and he took his mother's side um, in the divorce. And, uh, but now the comedian is dying. And as a result, uh, they're going to have a tribute for him. And will the son come? Um, Yes, he will reluctantly. But while he's there, he does ask the people who are going to be part of the tribute. Why is it that you like my father? And one of the answers is because he treats everybody the same. Another one is, because I always look forward to seeing him because I know I'll have a good time. And I mean this, those two statements really affected my life. And since then I have treated everybody the same because I think it's a very good policy. And I do try to be the type of person that people look forward to seeing to whether or not I succeed is another story, but it's something I try to do. So Bernard Slade uh, really did influence my life and I did mourn his death uh, tremendously. Kay Ballard was always lovely to me, too, and um, I do recall her telling me a heartbreaking story about how she really believed in her musical Molly, um, the musical about Gertrude Berg um, that was done in the 70s and uh, didn't last long, and uh, what trouble she had with the director and um, how uh, the songwriters weren't up to the task and um, how Alan Arkin came in to redirect, and, um, and if he had more time and they had more money, it might have worked out, but Watching this woman tell this long story about this um, musical failure really reiterated how hard it hit her and um, that so many times we just it's it's a failing of all of us that we hear stories about flops and um, we hear about reviews and we laugh at the clever things that critics say to put down shows. But Kay Ballard reminded me with uh, via this um, long explanation of molly that indeed how um 
powerful a flop can be to people's lives and something that they'll never forget. Because this was this was really only a few years before her death. I mean, this is like 30 years after Molly, and she was still um, hurt by it, that she really felt that she was going to um, – have a nice success with it and um mm. and it didn't happen at all so um so that was pretty uh impressive as well that is uh quite a list for tw- just one year 2019 uh it's yeah it's really... and we've only met we've only actually mentioned a few <laughs> right yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, it was, um, Joe Sullivan lesser, um, died as well. And, um, I, I, I'll, I'll never forget going to both the recording sessions of the uh, revivals of guys and dolls and the most happy feller, which were uh, just a few weeks apart from each other. Um, this, I think it was 92, somewhere around there and, um, <clears throat> and watching her be such a perfectionist, and making sure that her husband's legacy was really, really established once again uh, by how many uh, times she asked that things be reexamined and so on and so forth. Uh, she wasn't nasty about it, but she was firm. She was definitely um, in making sure that um, that well. Let's. It, it was this. Her, her, she had to be her husband that day. Um, she had to make sure that everything was, was perfect. And, uh, and those recordings are very nice. And, um, and I'm very glad that she did that. I never... Well, there has been much speculation. And of course, we'll never know in recent days about how uh, Mrs. Lesser would have felt about the upcoming production of The Most Happy Fella that is going to be directed by Daniel Fish, uh, who also uh, is responsible, and I use that word pointed, <laughs> for the current Oklahoma. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, that show hasn't, uh, Happy Fella hasn't happened yet, so we, so we don't even know what we'll, we'll think of it. But just given the uh, approach to Oklahoma, I, I I think there's my reason to expect that she might um, possibly not even have allowed the production to go forward if she were still with us. Especially since she was in The Most Happy Fella uh, on Broadway in the original production and, of course, met her future husband there. Yeah. So uh, so it, uh, of all his shows, I'm sure that's the one that means the most to, to her for that reason. So, um Phyllis Newman, um, who was always uh, so wonderful to me, um, died as well. And she was very proud of the fact, of course, that um, in the Tony race of the 61-62 season, that she was able to best both Barbara Streisand and Barbara Harris uh, and one for Subways Out for Sleeping. And also gave me one of my favorite statements of all time. Uh, she didn't give it to me. It was in her show uh, first called My Mother Was a Fortune Teller and then The Mad Woman of Central Park West, <laughs> in which she talked about auditioning for Subways After Sleeping. Now, you have to understand, Adolph Green was her husband, and he wrote some of the lyrics for the show. And, um, and David Merrick, the producer, did not want Phyllis Newman in this part of a former Southern beauty queen because he felt she wasn't beautiful enough. And as Phyllis Newman loved to say, I auditioned five times to get that part. Mm-hmm. And this was the first time that the actress got the part by not sleeping with the author. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I also have to say as many That's such times a Phyllis thing. <laughs> it is. And I have to say, <clears throat> um, every time I would see her, she would say, Hi, 
hi. And I thought she doesn't know my name. You know, I mean, she's just, mm, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, that's. And then I'll never forget. She was um, seated in front of me uh, at Wonderful Town. And it's it no surprise she would go to see Wonderful Town, given that was, again, another one of her husband's shows. And she was with M- Maria Didia, a wonderfully charming yeah. um, theater person. And uh, general manager. Yeah, indeed. And and said, uh, hi, Maria, do you know Peter Felicia? She pronounced it uh, the way I do. I mean, I was amazed, you know, so uh, so she was terrific to me. And um, I remember her fondly and I really mourned her death um, because um, we had many a nice conversation. And of course, she was tremendously, um, tremendously talented. I want to. Put a supposition out here. I'm looking through the list of people we just talked about. Betty Corwin, 98 years old. Martin Shorn, mm-hmm. 84. John mm-hmm. Simon, 94. Mm-hmm. Carol Channing, 97. Jerry mm-hmm. Herman, 88. Hal Prince, 91. Kay Ballard, 93. Joe mm-hmm. Sullivan, lesser, 91. Mm-hmm. Phyllis Newman, 86. I'm thinking that the Broadway life is a good life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. You know, I, ironically, it brings to mind, uh, John Simon brings to mind something that William Goldman wrote in his book, The Season, when he uh, was lamenting that Clive Barnes was the critic for the New York Times and he didn't like him at all. I mean, there's a lot of ink in that book about how terrible Clive Barnes was. <laughs> and he said, Barnes is 40. Drama critics live a long time. <laughs> John Simon proved him right. And uh, the three of us really do hope that uh, William Goldman is right. <laughs> in, in the wake of the death of Jerry Herman, someone posted a, that fabulous clip of Angela Lansbury and B. Arthur doing Bosom Buddies on the Tony Awards yeah, some yeah. years ago. Yeah. And the person posted it because Mr. Herman had just died. And, and one of the comments from one of the people was all three of them are gone now mm. meaning yeah. <laughs> meaning uh, they meant lansbury arthur and herman and yeah. immediately not- 25 people <laughs> were like oh my god <laughs> angel lansbury is still very much with us but it's uh, you know it's a privilege to mm. still have these people mm. and have them for so long and mm. and and really i i think we uh you know will be able to tell future generations that we actually in some cases interacted with them and, and, and they will hopefully, you know, their mouths will drop open in wonderment that we actually, that these were real people who walked the earth and we actually got to spoke to speak with them and, and interact with them. All right. So let's move forward into uh, some discussion about what the, best of Broadway was when tw- in 2019. So, Peter, what are your thoughts on what, what was the best on Broadway in 2019? Well, okay, if it has to be Broadway, um, certainly um, I, will, I will deal with that. But so many of my great experiences took place in various other places. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, um, Ruby Rakos and Chasing Rainbows being Judy Garland and uh, Violetin Irello playing uh, Shirley Temple in the same show at the Paper Mill Playhouse are the two best performances um, I saw by an actress in, and featured actress in in a musical this year. Um, um, 
well, Abel Nozada certainly um, is um, is uh, somebody who was tremendous in Hadestown. I'll have to uh, certainly say that. But um, but these two really stood out for me, and I thought that that was uh, really terrific that that happened. Uh, similarly speaking, I think the best music I heard this year was by Ross Golan and The Wrong Man, um, <clears throat> and um, that's off Broadway as well. And the best lyrics were by Adam Guan uh, in Scotland, PA, especially for the song Why I Love Football. <laughs> I thought that was great. And um, I also have to say the best um, sustained performance I saw this year was off Broadway as well, and that was Mitchell Jarvis in Rock of Ages. I thought um, uh, he was terrific. And the best actor in a musical was Joshua Henry in The Wrong Man. Um, so, so all those people uh, really were tremendously impressive to me in the musical category. Um, and, <laughs> you know, you never know where greatness is going to strike. And um, <clears throat> in Lincoln, Nebraska, I saw a high school production uh, imported from Kenosha, Wisconsin, with Scottsboro Boys, which uh, was tremendous watching. Uh, granted, there were a few people in the production that weren't high school students. It was a mixture, of, but most of them were. And uh, boy, uh, they did the show proud. So, uh, And for choreography, not even off-Broadway, but at the Triad, um, there was a concert of Over Here, the 1974 uh, Broadway musical that had starred the Andrew Sisters, and a choreographer named Andrew Black on the tiny, tiny space. I mean, they didn't even use the stage because the stage was full of um, musicians because over here is a big band show, but a tiny, tiny space on the floor. Um, he came up with some great choreographic moves, and I'm certainly interested to see what he's doing uh, next. And I thought the best director of a musical uh, this year was either Noah Brody for Merrily We Roll Along, which I thought was a terrific revival, um, or um, I, Thomas Kale for The Wrong Man. And uh, Thomas Kale, um, I, I, really, I think is this generation's Michael Bennett. I really think he's a phenomenal director, and certainly all his successes prove that. But um, uh, I, I don't think that that comparison is uh, too strong a one to make. So for the musicals, that's what I felt. Um, and uh, we'll talk about the... Um, uh, others um, uh, after Michael has his chance to tell uh, what he loved. Okay, Michael, what did you think? Well, the only uh, extent to which I would disagree about Thomas Kale is that he doesn't actually do choreography. Absolutely true. Yeah, but mm. but yes, I I think his accomplishments thus far certainly mark him mm -hmm. as one of the greats of our time. And I do remember that I met him when he was before he was Thomas Kale. <laughs> really? <laughs> when he was just wor just working in the basement of the drama bookshop. Uh-huh. With uh sometimes with Lynn Manuel Miranda. Uh and so look at that. Look at what can happen. Uh <laughs> I um I did make a list of shows I didn't initially uh, s separate them by Broadway and off-Broadway, but let me actually pull out the Broadway ones first. Uh because there weren't actually that many. Uh, I, I, I agree with Peter that many, most of my most memorable experiences, positive experience uh, in the theater this year were not on Broadway. But there were some. Uh, the Christmas Carol that's currently running uh, with Campbell Scott in the lead, I think, is a beautiful production. Not perfect, but uh, and some oddities in the adaptation, but still just overall just Really, really superb. Uh, Linda Vista, uh, Tracy Letts' uh, newest play, or his newest to come to Broadway anyway. I thought that was very, very well written. And, and actually, I would say one of 
maybe my favorite of his plays at this point. Uh, very different from August Osage County, so it's hard to compare those two. Um, the Betrayal production was the best of the three that, that I s- have seen on Broadway. And I think that many people agreed on that. So that was something that was a very, very nice surprise. I, I don't know if anyone expected it to be that good. Um, Choir Boy came to Broadway. I had previously seen it uh, off Broadway at MTC, and then it came to Broadway and, and got deservedly very, very wonderful positive response um uh let's see there were a couple of things that i resaw with with new casting uh for example my fair lady in which laura benanti uh turned it from i would say a good production to an excellent production uh just because of the the wonderful musical theater comedy know-how that she brought to the role, not to mention her thrilling, thrilling voice. She was pretty much a revelation. Uh, the Ferryman with the new American cast was, I would say, as good as it was when it first opened with uh, uh, with lots of people from the, from the UK and, uh, and Ireland. And, um, oh, another thing I saw uh, off Broadway that I had previously seen on Broadway was the play that goes wrong now at New World Stages. And as I said at the time, it was just one of those nights where the the show was was sizzling. Uh, the comic timing was perfect. There's so much physical comedy in that show. It was brilliantly performed. It seemed to me that that some of the casting was better. Uh, than when I had seen it on Broadway, and the people who remained from Broadway were were even better than they had been previously, and the audience response was like nothing I'd ever experienced. It was almost nonstop laughter. So that production is still playing at New World Stages. Obviously, it's uh, you can probably get in for less money than you would have to pay for a Broadway show, and I and if it's anything like the night that I saw it. Uh, I, I I can guarantee you it's it's going to be one of the highlights of your theater going life. So I can't recommend that highly enough. Um, in terms of plays, um, uh, uh, the Inheritance Part One, um, mm. I think maybe the best play I saw this year because I, Judgment Day, which is one of the best things I've ever seen. Period, um, mm. is an adaptation. So I'm putting that in a separate category because Christopher Shin took Otto von Horvath's play, and um, I don't know how much or, or, or how little he did with it, but um, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and um, say that for revival, the Druid Shakespeare production of Richard the Third, I thought was sensational, and certainly Aaron Monaghan playing Richard the Third was amazing beyond belief. But I also want to give a shout out to the White Chip by Sean Daniels which um, I'm going to put in the category of unique theatrical achievement because I want to fit it in somewhere. The White Ship was a a show about alcoholism and how it ruined an artistic director's life and how he had to come back from that. And uh, it's pretty much a true story. um, And and, uh, under those circumstances, I wish that every high school drama club and every college program in musical theater and theater for that matter uh, could see it 
because it is a sobering cautionary tale and beautifully done by the cast as well. I think Judith Ivey in, in Greater Clements, um, as well mm -hmm. as Annette Benning in All My Sons, were the best actresses I saw this season in a major role. And the featured actor, well, that had to go to Edmund Donovan for Greater Clements, uh, playing this disturbed young man in an astonishing way. Um, for featured actress, I'd go with Lisa, uh, Liza, sorry, Colon Zayas in Halfway Bitches, uh, because that play was wonderful as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, but for director, nobody could touch Richard Jones for what he did at the Park Avenue Armory for Judgment Day. The, the, the staging, the blocking, sensational beyond belief. There's still some time to see this production, and I really urge you to see this. If, you know how they always say, if there's only one show you're going to see this year, well, even if there's only one show you're going to see next year, make it um, to the uh, Park Avenue Armory before Judgment Day closes. Um, and um, I hope you find it as astonishing as I do. I saw it yesterday on Peter's recommendation, and I wholeheartedly agree. It's just extraordinary. And especially, um, <clears throat> you know, sometimes uh, you can see things that you uh, would say are perfect. Uh, and then you might see another show that is maybe not perfect, but it must be seen because it's so unique and extraordinary. Uh, and I would put this in the second category. It's uh, the use of that massive space mm -hmm. at the Park Avenue Armory. I've seen a few shows there, not too many, and, and the spaces has been used in, in different ways. I, I, I don't know if it's ever been used in a way comparable to this. Mm -hmm. uh, there are these massive set pieces that at various points move along the vast floor space um, and which I would say, I, I, don't, I, I don't know if I would say it's half the size of a football field, but mm -hmm. maybe a third. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just, just tremendous. And to see these, these spaces, these pieces moving uh massively to to form new locales but very very basic pieces actually not even it's unfinished wood i would say most of the uh most of the scenery quote unquote uh but the scale of it is incredible and the way um that jones moves the cast around uh, the space in in clumps and and in in individ you know individuals uh, trajectories is is incredibly extraordinary. Um, I'm so glad I saw this. It's a, it's a fascinating piece written in nineteen or originally performed in nineteen thirty seven by Odon von Horvath uh, in German, and now this is an adaptation by Christopher Shin, and it is. Uh, the credit is, well, Richard Jones, director, Christopher Shin's adapter, Paul Steinberg, set designer, Mimi Jordan, Sharon, lighting designer, and Anthony McDonald, costume designer. And I have to mention, um, I do not want to forget to mention Daniel Kluger, music and sound design, both extraordinary, but especially the sound design. I can't mm. even mm. imagine mm. what it's like to mm. have to amplify dialogue in that vast space and make every single word 
distinct. I think that they should hire this person uh, <laughs> for no. I, I think that who should hire him is the people who are trying to get going that permanent uh, installation production of Ragtime on Ellis Island. Ah, uh, uh, because as uh, I did see the presentation that they did, and the only problem with that was that you there was a you really could not basically hear <laughs> the. Um, you know, because the ceilings are so high and the space is so vast. But uh, it's, it, I think this is a similar situation. And I hope that um, if those people are still trying to do that ragtime, I hope they call Daniel Kluger because I think he might have a solution. <laughs> For comedies, um, I, and, and somebody will argue that this wasn't quite a comedy, but it was, it was basically, for the most part, very funny, it was seared by Teresa Rebeck, um, her best play by far. And um, Marola Esparza was marvelous in it. So was Krista Rodriguez. Now, this was a play about a very um, finicky, temperamental, but high-standard perfectionist chef um, that Raul Esparza played to the hilt. And, um, and suddenly um, his partner is... Uh, hired a consultant to come in and shake things up. And Christopher Rodriguez was marvelous in being so centered in no matter what he said, it didn't matter. She had the answers. She knew it was best. And the, the condescending smile she gave as if to say, yeah, I know you think you know everything, but I'm the one who knows everything was, was just <laughs> terrific. I also enjoyed very much um, date me um, and okay. Cupid experiments. And I thought that the ensemble, um, uh, I'll just give the last names, Alvarado, Black, Greg, Lockley, Sakura, and Weizen were tremendous. Uh, the best ensemble I saw this year. And I think Lauren Lotaro directed it beautifully. So um, I like that. And while nobody knows what I'm talking about when I say that Linnea Hollingsworth in Three Times a Lady, which was a terrific uh, comedy, uh, which I saw in Valdez, Alaska, where uh, my play The Whole World was done. Uh, <laughs> I hope you hear about her someday um, because I really think she's a tremendous talent and I would like to see that happen for her. So um, I'm wishing her well. My list of non-Broadway highlights would, would also definitely include Seared. Uh, mm -hmm. I thought that was <laughs> really extraordinary. The Raul Esparza, was, he nailed that character so much. This crazily talented, but also somewhat crazy Chef, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he was he was amazing. Um, the cake at MTC mm -hmm. uh, with Deborah Jo Rupp about this woman who uh, is hired to make a cake for a lesbian couple to get married and uh, has is tremendously conflicted over it because of her religious beliefs. I thought that was a really extraordinary, wonderful piece of work and very, very, very thoughtful. Um, enter laughing at the York. With a magnificent performance magnificent. By, by Chris Dwan. Tremendous. As I, I think we mentioned at the time, the, the first time the York did the show was with Josh Grissetti mm -hmm. in that part. And uh, he was phenomenal. And now yes. Chris Dwan yes. was equivalent. And yes. the fact that they could find two people like you that bet. is amazing. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yep. Yep. And um uh, oh, also on my uh, off-Broadway list or my, my academic theater list uh, was Rags in NYU. I forget. Did you see it, Peter? No. no. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. quite, quite wonderful. You know, a piece that 
for all its flaws, has amazing uh, stuff in it. Incredible music by mm-hmm. Charles Strauss and, mm-hmm. and, and lyrics by Stephen Schwartz mm-hmm. and book by mm-hmm. Joseph Stein. Mm-hmm. And I was really, really glad that they did that and that mm-hmm. I was there to see it. Yeah, if really, for a show that ran four or five performances, whatever it was, it's wonderful, the resiliency of this project. And part of the reason, of course, is that um, Stephen Schwartz loves all his musicals equally. He's a wonderful father to, the, to them, and um, and he really wants Rags to succeed. And um, so he's worked very hard on it. And um, the, the results, have, uh, it's always gone in an upward direction. Um, yes, there are still problems with him. He'll be the first to admit that, too. But damn if he's still not trying to solve them and that's very very impressive very impressive indeed so um, absolutely yeah so uh i thought that was uh i'm glad you mentioned it even though i didn't see it but uh, i think i didn't know it was happening until after the fact and i was mm. you know, very sorry to uh to have that happen uh because yes i would have been there because i love those nyu productions sweet yeah. success city of angels they were terrific productions and um what i want to do this year i've never done this michael of you james of you i want to go to LaGuardia high school and see something i hear their productions are terrific um and i've never been um, but people are still raving about this sweet charity of some years ago. And um, I've got to make an effort to go there this year and uh, see something. And it's so close to where I live, too. I mean, I could be there in five minutes. So um, so I really, uh, that's, that's a goal. I hope this time next year I'm raving about some LaGuardia High School production, the School of Performing Arts there. I saw, uh, I'm, I'm sure I mentioned at the time, some years ago now, their production of West Side Story. Which I guess, in a way, is in a way, is a mm-hmm. sounds like it was a precursor of the current one. In that, uh, you know, since it was done at LaGuardia High School, the both gangs were multicultural. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, you know, mm-hmm. for obvious reasons in that case, mm-hmm, uh, and mm-hmm, so it's it's interesting that that now seems to have been a concept that seems to have been brought to Broadway. But it was amazing to see, as you can imagine, it was amazing to see any show at La, at LaGuardia, and to see that one in particular, that iconic show, was extraordinary. I have uh, friends who saw. Sweet Charity with, did you, I'm sorry, did you just mention this? Timothy mm-hmm. Chalamet was in it. No, I didn't mention that. I didn't know that. Um, uh, I think, was Madonna's kid in it? Um, she was She was in it. Now, I forget if she was Charity or someone else, but uh-huh. Timothy Chalamet was Oscar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I had heard at the time from people who saw it that there was this incredible guy. <laughs> and that's and that, was, that was right before you know, he exploded. So that Mm -hmm. was amazing. I also have a list of shows that I saw neither on or off Broadway in uh, just various other venues like concert halls and cabarets. Uh, It's always, there's always something great to see at Feinstein's 54 Below. I caught Marilyn May and Cheetah Rivera there this year uh, more than once. And any opportunity to get to see those ladies is amazing. I also am so happy that uh, 54 is open to letting people like me do shows there. Uh, we did our 54 Loves cast albums, which uh, I think I was so happy with the way it turned out with our amazing cast, Anita Gillette, Penny Fuller, Bill Hutton, Martin Vidnovic, Tyler Milliron, and Matthew Drinkwater. Um, but they always have great stuff going on there. And it's always worth it. Check that, check out their calendar. It's incredible. Um, uh, 
In fact, the night we did our show, we followed, we immediately followed Brian Stokes Mitchell. And mm. to be in the same green room with him, it's like, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Gosh, you know, <laughs> this is pretty neat. <laughs> um, that was incredible. Uh, what else did I love? Everybody rise. Joe Keenan's uh, political humor parody shows uh, in which he sets brilliant lyrics, uh, political humor to to beloved show tunes. And he is just so fabulous at that. He, I would say, is right up there with Gerard Alessandrini. Um, but it's a little different because uh, uh, Joe focuses on politics specifically, or at least in this show he does. Um, it was very much needed and is very much needed in the age of Trump uh, and with everything else that's going on. So I can't say how much I appreciate that show. And um, he keeps doing it uh, with uh, different editions, different casts, uh, people s- swapping in and out and uh, some, sometimes new material. So if you've, even if you have seen it, it's worth a repeat visit. Um, two events at 92Y, uh, not shows, but personal appearances, uh, interviews, and Q&As, two separate nights, uh, one with Julie Andrews, amazing, and the other with Bob Mackie. Um, just extraordinary to be in, in the room with those people. Uh, we just mentioned another production of Sweet Charity, uh, the one that had been done at LaGuardia some years ago. But this year, we got a concert version of it at Merkin Concert Hall, courtesy of the Transport Group, um, with uh, a very strong cast for the most part. But the incredibly special thing about that was hearing the original orchestrations played by a full orchestra situated on the stage at Merkin. Um, that is probably not something that I expect to necessarily ever get to hear again. And that was amazing. Um, what else? Uh, oh, I, I sp- frequently talk about the Met Opera uh, and what a transcendent experience that is. I saw Porgy and Bess at, there and I'm going back. I uh, was, I did not have access to press tickets then and I do not now. So I am, I will have paid on both occasions, but that's to me one of the great masterworks of human endeavor. And so it's not a flawless production, but it's certainly good enough uh, to make it worth repeat visits to that. Um, I should mention uh, that their La Boheme, which was uh, directed and uh, produced by Franco Zeffirelli, someone else that we lost uh, last year, is still in the repertoire. And I believe that that one is staying, even though some of his others uh, that are still with with us are going to be retired. I have heard that the Turandot uh, that he did, which is so eye-popping and so breathtaking. I hear that that's going uh, after this season. But the Boheme, I think they're going to keep because it just is, people won't let them (laughs) uh, remove it from the repertoire. And I have said this before, I'll say it again. If if you're careful, you can get a very good seat at the Met for quite a reasonable amount of money. I uh, have bought for 
myself and a friend of mine, two balcony box seats, uh, which are $31 each. That is the full price of those tickets, not a discount, not a rush ticket or anything like that. And um, the only thing is, is you see the stage at an angle, uh, a pretty sharp angle, but you can actually see the whole stage, even though they are lim- they are uh, they are labeled limited view. But if you need to uh, see the whole stage, you can lean forward when something is happening on that side of the stage that you need to see. Uh, but even if you don't do that, you'll see most of it most of the time. And the sound uh, from that vantage point uh, from that location is superb. So. I highly recommend those tickets if you ever think you want to try to see something at the Met, but you don't have a lot of money to burn. And the only thing you need to know about the balcony box seats is that you need to be in the lower part of the box and also, if possible, be further away from the stage, um, uh, as far away from the stage as you can, because the closer you get to it, then the angle uh, becomes more severe. And also, then you have the orchestra sound kind of coming directly up at you, and the balance with the voices is not that great. But so uh, um, really, 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 you won't regret it if you follow my advice and try to do that sometime. Uh, I think one person who has taken my advice in that <laughs> regard is Mr. Felicia. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> Indeed. So, so he will hopefully report <laughs> that I have uh, steered him and you correctly after, because um, I think we're going on the same night. Isn't that true? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. January 9th, is that correct? Um, I thought it was February 8th, actually. But <laughs> Oh, actually, then we're not going on the same. <laughs> all right, all right. These things but, happen. But um, the same location. <laughs> well, this certainly qualifies as news you can use. <laughs> so, um, Michael, since you mentioned your um, 54 Below, I'm going to mention God Shows Up, uh, my play, not to say that it was good, bad, or indifferent, but I'd like to give a shout-out to the terrific cast that did it. Christopher Sutton and his successor, Neil Meyer, uh, Maggie Bolfield and her successor, Leanne Hutchinson, and Lou Liberatore, who stayed with us for the entire run, playing God. And it's interesting because he's now in the upcoming off-Broadway production of Paradise Lost, where he's playing the devil. <laughs> so, um, so see, Lou has great range, you know. I mean, so, But, you know, isn't it interesting? Here we are. We've been talking about this for more than a half hour, the best of the year, and we haven't mentioned a word a word about one of the hottest tickets in town, and that's Moulin Rouge. And um, frankly, I don't like the show that much, but boy, Derek McLean's scenery, Catherine Zuber's costume design, what else is new, and Justin Townsend's lighting design, spectacular. So maybe there isn't much cake in Moulin Rouge by my standards, but there's certainly a lot of frosting, and um, it's terrific, very tasty frosting. I might interrupt and say that I eat frosting directly from the can. (laughs) Anyway, Michael, what were you saying? You're not alone. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to say the other uh, non-Broadway or off-Broadway thing on my list is uh, actually Scott Siegel's series of shows that he does, uh, specifically Broadway Unplugged, which always gives us an extraordinary opportunity to hear phenomenal voices with no amplification, which is not that easy to do anymore uh Mm. not many places where you can do that so i always always appreciate those shows and long may they continue and then also uh scott's broadway's rising stars shows that uh showcase uh 
recent, uh, very recent college graduates or I guess college seniors who are about to graduate um, specifically. And then uh, uh, parenthetically to that, the other the other shows that we have quite a few of them now. Uh, it's a wonderful development in fairly recent years, uh, such as the Jimmy Awards um, that uh, that give a Broadway showcase to very young talent. And you never know who you're going to see there and what they're going to go on to. Uh, Peter mentioned one of them earlier, Ava Noblezada. All right. So that is uh, a big list of what happened in 2019. Uh, before we wrap up for today, uh, I'll give you each a minute to say, what are you looking forward to in 2020? <laughs> it's always hard to look forward to anything uh, because uh, so many times our hopes are dashed. But nevertheless, um, I think A Soldier's Play is a great, great play. And under those circumstances, I'm hoping that this revival, this is going to be opening, um, at least for previews, very soon. Uh, I am looking forward to that immeasurably. Uh, and uh, it's about time it got to Broadway. I am uh, really feeling uh, that that's going to be something. Of course, company, um, I'm looking forward to, um, even though I um, have some reservations based on the cast album that's come out. Um, Flying Over Sunset certainly is one that I want to see as well, um, because the talent involved with Flying Over Sunset uh, at Lincoln Center, I mean, wow, you know, James Lapine, Tom Kitt, and Michael Corey, and Michael Starobin orchestrating it, I'm interested. So uh, so that's something. And for that matter, um, seeing a show that I greatly admired um, when it was done at the uh, PAP Theater, uh, which is Girl from the North Country using Bob Dylan's songs, a tremendously um, effective thing. And I won't be surprised if um, Rob McClure uh, gets the Tony that's been denied him up till this point for Mrs. Doubtfire. I have no idea. You know, I mean, I'm just guessing that that would be the case because it's a, it would seem to be a great role. And uh, maybe this will be the year for Laura Linney to win her Tony um, because she's been denied many times too many for my name is Lucy Barton. Um, Layman Trilogy, which supposedly is... Um, the sun and the moon. It was playing at the Park Avenue Armory. I couldn't make it. I had a ticket and couldn't make it that night. Um, so I, I'm getting a second chance, and I'm very grateful for that. So, uh, so those are the ones I'm looking forward to on Broadway. Michael, anything to look forward to? You know, honestly, I didn't make a list. Okay. Uh, I I am curious to see what the Music Man will be like. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and I, I would say that that sounds like it could be a wonderful role for you, Jackman. I'm sorry that there's all this drama tied in with the show as to what theater it's going to be at, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But I hope that doesn't uh, overshadow the event itself. Uh, I, don't, I think it's going to all blow over by time that that rolls around in uh, June, July type of, uh, I, I guess, uh, Beetlejuice's scheduled to close in the June area or mm -hmm. so. And then uh, I guess Music Man will be in the following fall. So by the time that'll be a, a, a long memory of this scandal here. Uh, the question quite, will be, quite question, likely. Yeah. Question will be, is West Side Story, will it be open by then? So. Yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, it seems to have started out, for what it's worth, gangbusters in terms of box office. And now, um, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. Because maybe we could spend a minute or, or, or on this. Um, I'm hearing conflicting reports 
as to how much it is being reworked in terms of the choreography. Mm-hmm. Are, what are you all hearing? I'm hearing that uh, it's not as much of a radical change as everybody, uh, re- reversion back to the typical choreography. It's uh, just basically a cleanup. It's well, a different point of view. yeah, because when they brought, when they announced that Sergio Trujillo was coming in, uh, he had worked with Robbins. And so I guess everyone assumed maybe that it would be a, a major reversion. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I wonder if possibly the tremendous box office response has had them, has caused them to have second thoughts. Yeah. I I don't really know if they have, I hate to say this focus grouped um, Mm -hmm. uh, West side story, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's, you know, for a production that, you know, and these Broadway productions that are twenty, thirty million dollar investments, it would be smart to focus group these things because they need to make money on them. Mm. Uh, so I and it was well received at the box office, tremendous box office. But it also is that time of year, so we'll get a real view right. of it in <clears throat> January, February. But um, but also the word of mouth wasn't terrible, and. Uh, this guy who's playing Tony is just everybody's uh, saying how wonderful he is, and hopefully he had a knee injury, and hopefully he'll be recovered from that knee injury uh, in time for to get back on his feet and open up the show. I cynically it have to admit that it entered oh. into my mind oh. <laughs> that perhaps I'm not saying he wasn't injured, uh-huh. but perhaps <laughs> maybe uh, that. Uh, the other stuff is also a factor the the you know how much the choreography is or is not going to be revamped is perhaps also a factor in the fact that the opening has been delayed hmm. all right well time will tell and we will bring it to you here as we see these shows so before we get on to trivia question, I'd like to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayradio.com. This is a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us in Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to listen to us. iHeartRadio plays us. TuneIn plays us. Stitcher plays us. Google Play plays us. Anywhere that you can find, find our podcast, you can listen to Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me, as well as links to all of the things we've talked about today, including all those obituaries and uh, that piece by Jonathan Mandel in uh, NewYorkTheater.com. Those are all in the show notes at BroadwayRadio.com, so check that out. So, Peter, do you have an (laughs) question? question? (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a tough one, too, but we'll see um, how people respond. If you check IBDB to see how many characters had the surname Smith (laughs) in 60s books musicals, you'll find listed Mr. and Mrs. Al Smith and Jimmy, Charlie Smith and Subway's Up Asleeping, Moe Smith and Nowhere to Go But Up, and Warren Smith on A Clear Day You Can See Forever. But there was another character who was born with the surname Smith that IBDB doesn't mention among those in 60s musical. The actor who played him was the top-billed lead, too. Who's this Smith? 
who portrayed him, and what's the musical? Hmm. Okay, if you have an answer to that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. People who got off of the plane and are looking at us, who got off of the train and the plane and the bus maybe yesterday. It's a city of strangers, some come to work, some to play. A city of strangers, some come to stare, some to stay. And every day, some go away. Or they find each other in the crowded streets and the guarded parks By the rusty fountains and the dusty trees with the battered box And they walk together past the posted walls with the crude remarks And they meet at parties through the friends of friends who they never know Will you pick me up or do I meet you there or shall we let it go? Did you get my message? Cause I looked in vain Can we see each other Tuesday if it doesn't rain? Look, I'll text you in the morning or I'll call you and explain And another hundred people just got off of the train And another hundred people just got off of the train And another hundred people just got off of the train And another hundred people just got off of the train Another hundred people just got off of the train